Hello, welcome along to the podcast Sport and Life. How are you? Thank you for hitting on the button. Appreciate it. If you're in the UK, hope you're keeping cool. We cannot complain, can we? I know a lot of people are, but blistering sunshine, blue skies, temperatures, low 30s in Celsius, I think creeping up high 80s in Fahrenheit. If you're American or listening from somewhere else or raised in a family with Fahrenheit, as I was, my parents very much old school in that regard. But beautiful weather here. It's hot, though, in my spare room. So I'll keep this introduction to the podcast fairly short. Uh, thank you for you to be, for being here. Thank you to the sponsors, as ever, as well. Bang & Olufsen of Cheltenham and Serene AV, who are specialists in some of the finest home entertainment brands, providing solutions based around high-quality customer service and installations. Check out B&O underscore Cheltenham on Twitter and Instagram, as well as the Bang Olufsen of Cheltenham website. And Jason Briggs and his team will give you a bespoke solution to whatever your home entertainment quandary is. doesn't have to be Bang Olufsen equipment as well. Through that company, Serene AV, they can source you whatever sources or fits your guess vision of what you'd like to have in your home in terms of televisual, audio equipment, whatever you're after. Did play football, actually. I'll talk about this a little bit in the podcast with John Palmer in a second. For Bang Olufsen of Cheltenham in their team, the Banger Boys in a seven-a-side tournament at Gloucester over the weekend. Still feeling it a little bit, still sore. I was in absolute pieces 48 hours after the event. Former Cheltenham Town player John Finnegan and another former Cheltenham player Mark Johnson in action as well. Shane Duff came down to watch, did not take part. But Bang Olufsen of Cheltenham, good people. Jason Briggs there uh, had a few cameo minutes off the bench but he's awaiting a knee operation but jason and his team very much well versed in getting you the best home entertainment solution and if you are looking to optimize your immunity as we get out and about in the uk restrictions ease lifted i think pretty much lost slight track of it but i think we've had the freedom day so we can come and go as we please in theory uh, maybe always a good thing to even with covid in mind or whatever else in mind in terms of coughs colds flus good thing to keep that immunity tip top on the uh, basis of sleep exercise and nutrition we we try to supplement with cytoplans food-based supplements my father dr mark draper has worked as a consultant with the company and you can get a discount they're a company based in the west of england up in the village of hanley swan as you approach the malvern hills beautiful spot but we've uh, believe in the in the supplements uh, particularly the trace elements in the multivitamins or vitamins like selenium and zinc my father dr mark draper who is a gp but also a micronutritionist expert He's very much uh, a big fan of selenium and zinc and magnesium, things like that. And they're very much in the uh, immune complete range, which is their multivitamin or the foundation formula range. In any case, you can get whatever supplement you're looking for at cytoplan.co.uk, C-Y-T-O-P-L-A-N.co.uk. The dr- uh, discount associated, associated, spit my words out, with the podcast is Draper10R, my last name, D-R-A-P-E-R, numerals one zero. And the capital letter R. Right, let's get on to the podcast recorded in my back garden in the shade. Although John Palmer, local journalist extraordinaire, did get into the sunshine at the end. So we had to wrap it up. It's starting to, to melt, I think, because it is pretty hot. But great to speak to him. Head of Cheltenham Town's new season. Been a beat reporter, Cheltenham fan. Been covering the club for decades. And also as a lecturer, which we talk about a little bit at the University of Gloucestershire in Cheltenham in the journalism department, specifically sports journalism and talk about how that industry is changing, different platforms coming on the scene, different opportunities for students to graduate and get jobs in. But first of all, focusing on Cheltenham Town in League One this season, looking to beat their best ever finish of 17th. And he seems in good spirits. He was stopping off on his way up to Kidderminster Harriers for a pre-season friendly tonight, which is uh, Tuesday the 20th of July, if you're catching up with this. So you may all well know the result by the time you listen to it, but hopefully it's a good game. And I uh, hope you enjoy this. John Palmer. <laughs> 
Hey, John Palmer, good to see you in person after a year of Zooms or more. How yeah. are you doing? Yeah, very well, thanks. I think last time I actually came here for a chat was just before the, the first lockdown. In, I think it was March, because I remember the race was on, wasn't it? March 2020. Yeah, so. yeah. It so. seems, I mean, I lose track of time because actually sometimes you feel like that was yesterday and sometimes it feels like years ago because mm. 2019 almost still feels like last year, doesn't yeah. it? Because 2020, 21 was so surreal. Yeah, very bizarre. The the perception of time has definitely changed, but at least we've had a few, uh, yeah, a few Zoom chats, a few online chats. And you're gonna have people at yeah. the gate. You've been going to the games, but you can have people at the games. It's just very cool. How excited are you about that? Yeah, the first friendly was Cinderford a couple of Saturdays ago. Just probably about four fifty, five hundred there, but it was brilliant. You know, when a player made a good pass or Cheltenham scored three goals, actually have a little ripple of applause and a few people cheering. Obviously, some of the Cheltenham players that signed last summer, yeah. the fans have never seen them play yet. So, although there were a couple of games mid-season where there were a small group of fans in the Johnny Rock Stadium to actually have them there um, Cinderford Evesham and then back at Johnny Rocks for the Birmingham game it it makes you realise you know if anyone needed confirmation that it's, it's pointless for that fans last season was an unbelievable achievement but it was it was just such a shame that it was yeah. echo- echoing empty stands and you're going up to Agborough tonight which is actually somewhere that I visited I, my beat when I was at BBC Hereford and Worcester was Redditch United but then I did do a couple of games at Kidderminster Harriers, Agra for BBC Hereford and Worcester back. It was sort of like 15, 16 years ago now. But you're up there tonight for the, the mighty Robins against the Harriers. Yeah, nice little ground. And for, for a long time, Kidderminster were, were above Cheltenham. You know, yeah. A lot of time we, we would, as Cheltenham fans, back in the 90s, we look up Kidderminster and think that's where Cheltenham want to get to. Yeah. So they've obviously not, Kidderminster aren't where they want to be at the moment because they, they should be at least National League, if not League Two. They're in, obviously in National League North at the moment. It's a good club, and there's a lot of ex Cheltenham players there, including the manager Russ Penn. Yeah, and about half the team have played for Cheltenham, so it should be <laughs> as friendly as go. It's going to be an interesting one. Yeah, unless there's traffic on the M5, it should be quite a quick journey for you, shouldn't it? Up the yeah, up the road, pretty, to pretty local one. Yeah, and it's, I think it's their first game with yeah. fans for Kidderminster, so it'll be a nice night for them. A bit warm for football, but, but it'll be a nice evening to hopefully go and stand in the shade and watch some. And obviously, you're a, a diligent reporter, always impartial, but historically, you were a Cheltenham fan. How exciting to! Get up to League League One again, and, and some, also some. I don't know what it was like last time, but there's some really big clubs in there this time. Mm. It, it looks bigger than ever now. I mean, Cheltenham had two spells in League One. Yeah, one lasted for one season, and and ended in relegation. So that was when Michael was playing. Michael Duff was playing in that team. Went up for the first time, stayed up there one year, came straight back down again, and then the second spell, which lasted three seasons, there were during that spell, Forest, Leeds, Leicester. But there seem to be one or two big clubs. But this season, you look at the lineup in League One, and half the division really is clubs that have either been in the top flight or established in the championship. Yeah. It's it's scary in that respect. But then there are quite a few teams in there that you think, well, Cheltenham have played them quite a lot in League Two over the years. So there's a few that you you know you, you don't think are out of reach. But then you know Sunderland, Portsmouth, QP, uh, Charlton, Ipswich, that you could you could go on. This is it's just brilliant, and what a challenge to try and yeah. go up there and and. and uh, and thrive. What would be the budget difference as a percentage for Cheltenham versus, say, Sunderland or Sheffield Wednesday? What do you think? It would be minuscule, minuscule yeah. percentage-wise. I don't know, but Cheltenham's. I, I know that that some of the teams that got relegated from League One last season had a budget far bigger than Cheltenham are going to have this season. Yeah. But you know, Michael, I, I really enjoyed the chat you had, Michael Duff, last week, and he he knows that he can't come out after every game and say, "Well, their budget's bigger than ours," because <laughs> every, everyone knows that. He's, he, you know, Cheltenham have never had a big budget in League Two. Ch- Cheltenham staying in League Two is a challenge. Mm. So for them to get out of League Two and now have a chance to go on and take take on the people like Sunderland, I, I, I'm sure there's all sorts of brilliant comparisons. So I'm, I'm guessing there'd be a Sunderland player that's probably on almost as much as the whole Cheltenham wow. squad, pretty much. You know that sort yeah. of thing. 
and where they've come from, you know, there's no way they should be in League One anyway. But Cheltenham's is definitely going to be, as Michael said, probably the smallest, if not second smallest, in Morecambe because obviously they're a mm. small club that have done incredibly well to get up there. Cambridge have done well to get up there. Wouldn't have been fancied last season. So it's yeah, it's going to be a total mismatch with half, at least half the division, probably quite a lot more. But uh, that's what Michael Duff's done all his career, hasn't he? He's, he's uh, upset the odds and yeah. re- re- rewritten the record books on, on a number of occasions. Yes, it was great speaking to him. I was always impressed by his sort of radical candour, and he's definitely evolved, I think, even over the past couple of years in his, his opinions. But as you say, for the media, as he goes up in his career, it's going to be fantastic because not only is, does he answer every question, but he gives a sort of honest and his own unique perspective on it. But what do you think? Because he says that, you know, candidly, this is football, and actually... If I lose 10 in a row, there will be no loyalty. I'll get let go. But do you think there is sort of, I guess, re- realistic expectations on the behalf of Cheltenham, the club and the, the fans? How do you read it? Yeah, I think if Cheltenham were to lose their first 10 games, which, which they won't, I don't think they will, but if they <laughs> were to lose their first 10 games, I think you've got to remember that when he, when he first took over, they didn't win for 10 games. Mm. And then look what he went on to do after that. Yeah. But it, it depends... If Cheltenham were to lose ten, then obviously that's not great. But it, it would be the manner of: are they? Do they look like they're still together? Do they yeah. look like they're still fighting for it? If they lost ten games and they look like everyone had just given up, then I think there would be some serious questions raised. But he's definitely earned himself a huge amount of uh, leeway in terms of what he's, achieved, what he's achieved already. And I do think the fans will be realistic with that. I don't think the fans are going to be expecting to be challenging for the playoffs or anything stupid mm. like that. It's it's it should not be you know forgotten how how great an achievement it is to get in there. You know, winning the league was incredible, but. Cheltenham have been up a couple of times before via the playoffs. Each of them, were, in their own right, was a great achievement. But this one was was a new best, finishing top. And I know he'll have his eye on that 17th place. That's yeah. what you know, that's, yeah, that's the club that, landmark. It was interesting, yeah. Because he's already re- rewritten some of the records and he'll want to do more. But I don't think the fans are going to start calling for his head if Cheltenham are bottom of the league at Christmas. I, don't, I, don't, I think they'll still think that if he's, he, he's, he's shown a, a good temperament for management, I don't think he gets too up, too down. There's never any doubt about what he's telling the players. Never mm. any mixed messages. He's very clear. He knows exactly what he wants. The, the, the team will be well organised, well structured. There's still more players to come, and, and I think there's things close in that respect yeah. over the next few days, the next couple of weeks. What? How many signings have there been, ins and outs? Has Two been a lot? at the moment. Yeah. Um, five players were released and five loans ended, so ten left. Mm. Two have come in, and then there's 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 three players currently with the club that are sort of on trial or training with the clubs, not not con- contracted. So there's, you know, you can see that there are obviously seven or eight bodies down. So yeah. definitely, I think there's going to be at least five in, possibly maybe more than that. And last season, you were saying one of the strengths, in a, in a strange way, was the ability to share the goals around the team. Do you think that's going to be sort of apparent now, or do you feel that they should get someone in, maybe as a, a singular striker who's going to get 15, 20? What do you, how do you see it? I think the squad numbers is quite interesting. There's mm. a gap in number nine. <laughs> so that's, that tells you exactly what, what sort of player Michael Duff will be wanting to look for, a number nine. So... They've got Andy Williams, yep. they've got Alfie May, George Lloyd, and then they've got a young lad who's just turned pro last season, Callum Ebanks, who's, who probably got out on loan. So that those players all did well last season, and Alfie got ended up top scorer, but Williams did quite well in, in the league. They definitely want another, at least one, possibly two more forward mm. players, and then some attacking midfield creators, I think. But there, there, will be, there will be a number nine, I'm sure, squad number by the time August 7th comes around. Had a good sort of platform last season in terms of the defence, which we saw against Manchester City as well. Yeah. You think that that gives them a shot in most games to, to at least, I guess, be on be on level par with the opponents. Yeah, I think last season there there were times where it looked like nobody could, even the best team in the world could be, break Cheltenham down for a long period of that game. So, mm. 
the one thing that you can guarantee it that will, they will be difficult to break down. If there's certain games where they need to go four five one, or you know turn the back three into a back five, uh, five four one, which they which they did against uh, Man City, then they know they can do that. It's interesting. He's been using he's been experimenting with the diamond midfield in some of the friendlies. So yeah. four four two with the Ben Terry Venables bottom. style. Yeah, <laughs> Venables was a bit of a Christmas tree, wasn't he? At yeah, one point, oh, that's but, true. Yeah. But that that could suit Cheltenham as a as a plan B. I know he's looking at a plan B. Something that if the three five two or the five three two or the five four one isn't isn't quite working, whether he he might switch to a diamond midfield, which he has done in certain periods of games. But they, there will be a structure and organisation, and that back five from last season hasn't changed. Blair, yeah, Raglan, Toza, Boyle, Hussey, they're all they're all still there, and they're. I don't think I don't think any of those will struggle in League One. It's interesting. He was very complimentary about Gareth Southgate in England, which people said they found interesting. His his analysis of it as a Northern Irishman, but he was he said to me, I'm not sure if it was on the recording or whether it was off um, the recording, but I don't think it's a, bit, a big secret. But he said that managers, when push comes to shove, have instinctive, you know, kind of preferences of where they'll go. Will it be to defend or will it be to attack? Will it be to gain or will it be to protect what you have? And he said that that's a a dilemma that was was apparent last season. I suppose that balance maybe shifts a little bit in League One. Interesting to see how they how they approach it from the start. Mm. They lost a lot more games last season than they did the year before, but, yeah. uh, but drew a lot less. That's quite interesting. And I think I don't know whether the fans not being there played a part in that. Um, but they 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 did suffer a few more defeats, but they won a lot more games. They were solid as solid as ever. Yeah. And I think his yeah. Well, well, they're not. I wouldn't say they were gung ho. Cheltenham under Michael Duff, they they do play some nice football and, mm. and some decent attacking football. But I think he he will take particular pleasure out of the organisation of the defensive side of the team more than anything else. How important will Chris Hussey be? Because I spoke to him and he seemed very kind of, I guess, uh, undaunted by the prospect of moving up to mm. League One. He said there wasn't a huge difference individually between the players. It's more of a collective sort of sharpness. Yeah, I think he's. You know, you you've got to be careful about saying you're going to do this you're going to do that but he's one that can back it up because he's you know mm. he's, he's so good at, he stood out in league two and he's been higher he's been in the championship he's been in league one I, I don't think he'll be daunted by it he's he's as fit as a fiddle he's been really consistent since he's been at Cheltenham when yeah. a few, few people questioned his record because he had a couple of injuries but he's been available for almost every game since he came back from an injury when he first signed so he he's one that could definitely step up and I think he he said to me in an interview that he thinks he'll be he thought he was one of the best in league two and I think he'll be again one of the best in League One, and I, I don't doubt him at all. I think he's got that self-confidence, and in terms of technical ability and the delivery, there's, there's no there's no very few players that I've ever seen at Cheltenham better than that. Yeah, he studies sports psychology, hasn't it? It seems almost that a lot of Michael Duff's approach is is sort of steeped in sort of human psychology, really, isn't it? Getting the best out of humans. It's in, when you speak to him, it's almost like he's evolving those philosophies all the time, and how he's now almost given responsibility to the players to maintain that culture and to inculcate new people into that culture yeah there's little stories I, I enjoyed the one about the swimming four mm. seconds trying to get four seconds down yeah to get to get a, a medal after you know being in, in swimming terms miles off it he's, he's had discussions with us at games about um, NASA and presidents of the USA talking to the cleaners and saying they're all part of putting a man on the moon and that sort of thing and he's got loads of those up his sleeve I think he's and I think um, he's he reads and I think he learns he, he educates himself on leadership and motivation they use the Marines, mm, um, yeah, and I, c I can just imagine him not going on and on for for too long, so the players sort of zone out. But I could just imagine him making those those little examples that will that everyone will be able to relate to, and then they get you know have the desired effect. I think he's very good at that. Yeah, it's interesting that sort of dilemmas you, f you face as a manager because I always remember reading about Brian Clough and his assistant Peter Taylor and how they would target players who were sort of undervalue in the market because maybe disciplinary issues or whatever else, and they'd go and sort of almost counsel them and get them to play for them, whereas you get the sense that 
someone would have to be on point with their behaviour from the very get-go with Cheltenham, wouldn't it? Because there is a, it's a way of behaving that everyone has to adhere to. Yeah, culture set, and it's it's very established now. But it's quite interesting about that. You know, the ten games without a win, would he would he be in, in at risk of losing his job? I think if you look at a team and they they look like they're not anywhere near playing where they should be, that's mm. when you've got problems. I can't see Cheltenham ever being like he will get the best out of the players that he's got in the past. Before Michael Duff came in, just before Michael Duff came in, you looked at the team in the 2017-18 season. They had Mo Issa up front. Mm. Joe Morrell was on loan from Bristol City. They had some excellent players, but I felt like the team were massively underachieving in terms of what they're producing as a team. Since Duff's been, since Duff's got his team together, and as he said to you, this is his team now. Every player there is now either there because he signed them or he's kept them. Nobody's just got a contract that's rolled on <laughs> and he's been sort of saddled with. Yeah. So I think he he will. And he's proven he can get the best out of a player. So even if Cheltenham go up to Sunderland, put up a decent show and lose by, by a few goals, as, as long as people think they are, he's getting the maximum out of the players that he's got available. Because you can't just go out and sign a... You can't, you can't, you can't take a potential signing away from Sunderland to come to Cheltenham. It's just not going to happen. So that's, that's one of the key things for me, is, is, is he getting the most out of them? And that, that's what he definitely has done over the last couple of years. Yeah, you mentioned Moisa. That, that money was significant, wasn't it, in sort of staving off the pandemic? It's incredible to think when you reflect that we didn't have any football last season and yet the, the league went ahead. Do you think it would have done had we, had we known what we'd known? And I mean, how well have Cheltenham done to have gotten through it? Yeah, it didn't quite make sense when the season before finished mm. because there weren't fans in. The new season started, probably knowing that they weren't going to be able to have fans in for a big chunk of it. So, But thankfully, no football league clubs have gone under yet. I know, I know some have been struggling, but they've been, they've been given rescue packages. Yeah. They've been given assurances. Cheltenham have been good, partly, and a big part of it is due to being well run um, and, be, and not spending beyond their means. They had the fortunate... Um, so the Moisa one... I'm sure I'm on the mic, Frank. Okay, so, yeah. the, the Moisa one was, was... You've got to give Gary Johnson a lot of credit for bringing him in. Mm. Um, but the, the bonus one really was Marlon Pack because that was completely unexpected. So they sold Marlon Pack. He was out of contract, signed for Bristol City. I think they got about 100,000 in compensation. Yeah. They probably thought that was going to be it. But luckily, somebody was very clever and put in a, a sell-on clause in there. <laughs> and he, he, when he went to Cardiff, Cheltenham got a good you know, six-figure sum from that. Wow. A couple of other little bits of bonus cash came in. And then, of course, the Man City game. All together, probably just helped Cheltenham through it without having to worry too much. And they'd be in a strong position now. Do you know how much Man City game would have brought the club? Well, did an interview with Paul Bentz, the commercial director, just after the Man City excitement had died down, and I think he estimated around the 400,000 mark. Wow. Um, all in, so commercial, TV, revenue. They, they've made quite a lot of money out of the Cups in general, prize money through the rounds of the FA Cup, prize money from uh, EFL Trophy wins, and then the, the, t the extra broadcast money for games being streamed, the, the BBC money. I think all in, the Man City game, I think probably getting up towards half a million in terms of sort of bonus football football fortune income during the season what would that mean in the sort of an average season with fans in what would that mean in relative relative to that oh, 500,000 pounds it wouldn't cover it yeah uh, but it would certainly take the you know the because the, they were they were openly talking before that about making a loss of a million now Cheltenham this is going back to 2009 so obviously with inflation it's a bit different but they lot they lot they made an 800,000 pound loss yeah um, so under Martin Allen was under it? Martin Allen that's the closest they've ever come to going into administration so you can tell, even though we're a few years on now, a million still would have been a huge amount of money to claw back. So they, while they won't be have money, you know, floating around, they can spend transfer fees on players. They they are not at risk of not being able to pay the players, not being able to pay the wages and the staff. It, they're, they're safe, and I think so. Five hundred thousand would would have just taken the the worry and the doubt and the stress from a lot of the directors and a lot of the, a lot of the players. 
what trips are you looking forward to the most? There's a midweek game at Sunderland, isn't there, in August, which I guess is going to be a late night for you. I don't know if you're teaching the day after, yeah. are you? It's, no, teaching luckily starts at the start of September, so that one I should be fine for. But I think I've, I've been up to Sunderland before, yeah. seen, seen Cheltenham play in the League Cup there, lost 1-0 after extra time. So although that would be a great one, I've been there before. I've been to Hillsborough, but I've never seen Cheltenham. Cheltenham never played Sheffield Wednesday in a competitive game. Yeah. I've never been to Charlton, um, that'll be, and I've never been to Ipswich. So although Portsmouth is a great club, I think they've got the best fans probably in the Football League. Mm. Cheltenham have played them a few yeah. times in League Two. So I think if I had to pick one at the moment, I would probably say I'm most excited about, I'd say Sheffield Wednesday because of the, you know, in terms all things being equal, they... they are up there with Sunderland is probably the biggest club in there I think. yeah one of my best friends is coming down he's from university actually lives in Stocksbridge just north of Sheffield big Wednesday fan and it's, he's going to come down but it must be surreal for Wednesday fans because when I was a kid I can remember them probably David Hurst Chris Waddle playing yeah. in cup finals and yeah. now they're coming down to Cheltenham League 1 but that is the beauty of the, the pyramid really isn't it yeah I think they, they it's been a while since they've been in the top flight yeah. but they, you, think, you always think they're going to get their act yeah. together you think they're going to get back up there like and Forest as well you think they're going to get their act together they've been either in the Championship or League One for a long time now but yeah Sheffield Wednesday for me were always growing up we were always a big club and always getting to I think they got to the FA Cup final and the League Cup final in the same season mm. lost them both to Arsenal but good some good players over the years and it is it is the beauty of football so you, you've got a, a team that could have been well Ch- Cheltenham were playing in the National League a few years ago weren't they now mm. they're playing against a team Sunderland who were you know <laughs> probably feel like they should be in the top half of the Premier League really if, if everything's going well so Portsmouth won the FA Cup not long ago yeah, Ipswich yeah. had a couple of good years in the Premier League didn't they and, and even though Charlton know, were there for a long time Charlton were there for a long Kirby's time League. Bolton we think you know forget about Bolton because they were in Charlton's League last year but they're still they're, they're going to be a big club in League yeah. 1 even though they've only just come back up into it so th- there's loads of them in there but then I, I also look at the likes of uh, Crewe, Accrington, Cambridge, Shrewsbury who, mm. who are going to be strong under Steve Cottrell but there are some teams in there that are in the, at least in the same sort of stratosphere as Cheltenham but then there are those teams that you just think there's, there's no way How does Steve, how's Steve Cottrell doing because he had a tough time of Covid didn't he yeah it's his birthday today is it yeah it's <laughs> the, time 57 is. today so he's thankfully I've watched some interviews he's done with the club channel and one he did with the BBC yesterday and he, he seems to be getting there you know he's, he's not 100% but he's such a workaholic I yeah think, almost I think the main thing is for him not to do too much too soon but mm. he, he set himself the goal of being back at the start of July for pre-season and he's done it he's back in there but he, he had something like 60 over 60 days in hospital um, he's spoken really sort of quite emotionally about what he went through and how, how close he was to to losing his life it's, mm. it's quite an incredible watch really but he, he wanted to try and raise awareness and encourage people if they're sceptical about having their jabs to, yeah. to go and get vaccinated but thankfully you know it's great to see him back, and he's he has taken on Cheltenham before. Once at Notts County, they they won five nil, and once at Bristol City, uh, they won three one. So Shrewsbury, Cheltenham, Duff against Cottrell. It's just mouth <laughs> mouth watering, you know. Without Cottrell, I think I see a lot of Sean Dyche about about Michael Duff's management, mm. but without Steve Cottrell, I think Michael Duff's career would have been very different. Yeah, Huge yeah, because it was quite an opportune moment, wasn't it? Because he tried to take him to Stoke, didn't he, originally, and then it ended up being Burnley. Yeah, there, there was, you know, I don't think. It's a bit like now. Everyone probably knows that Michael's going to go higher as a manager. Mm. When he was a player at Cheltenham, even though he was, he was at Cheltenham for a long time, I think everyone knew at some point he was going to go and play higher because he was that good. But he, he was linked with all sorts of clubs. Scouts watching him, Liverpool watching him. Hmm. Every, every club pretty much in the, in the country, I think, were watching him at one point. And it wasn't until Steve Cottrell went to Burnley um, after Stoke, brief spell at Sunderland, he went to Burnley, signed him in 04, and then he obviously had it. Spent yeah. the rest of his playing days and the start of his coaching career at Burnley under the likes of Cottrell, Howe, 
coiled Dyche and you know I think everyone knew he was going to be good but to get to the Premier League play for Northern Ireland I think 24 25 times mm. absolutely brilliant yeah yeah and it's um it's amazing that he said to me he was towering over me yesterday or last week when he came round and he just said yeah I was too small apparently to get to make it in, the, <laughs> in these clubs like Nottingham Forest and Swindon Town it just shows you how you know, don't get too disheartened in life if, if people get the wrong call on you because it could be something completely wrong factually yeah. that they, they judge you on. I think he's a late developer. I think mm. Cheltenham almost started to use that as, a, as something they look for in players after the success of Michael Duff and giving him a yeah. chance and how well he did. I think they started looking for sort of... Because he, 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 he always laughs about it. He always gets described as either skinny or gangly or lanky because <laughs> he, when he was younger, he, he was very slight. Mm. And that's probably why Steve Coffrey used him at right-back primarily in his early years, but he did... You know, he's, what is he? Six foot two, six foot yeah. three. Must be yeah. six foot two now. And when he was at Burnley, he, he was he was built like a centre half, mm. you know, pro- proper strong, um, but mobile, very athletic central defender. A lot of boys grow late as well, doesn't it? Yeah. So it seems a bit naive to to write people off at fourteen, fifteen. Yeah, and I think there's the top clubs can can probably have a whole crop of youngsters to see which ones grow and which ones mm. don't. But at Cheltenham, then you obviously need to be very careful because they haven't got money. Yeah. to throw, throw it's away. It's like wrist so. size you can tell. There's some, there's some measurement, there's some measurements you can do that give you a sense other than having to do like x-rays and things yeah. like that. It must be difficult with goalkeepers because if you, if you are an outstanding young goalkeeper but everyone in your family's five foot six, then yeah. you must think to yourself, well, yeah. how, which level can I actually get to? Because you know, It was at Campos when we were kids. Do you remember Campos? Yeah, the Mexico the goal brilliant shirts. Yeah, yeah, yeah he was uh, about five foot seven, yeah. was the eight, I think. Even if you're six foot, six foot one now as a goalkeeper, you've seen as short, yeah. very Pick, short, aren't you? So, yeah. yeah, but it's, yeah, it, that, that, that was... It was uh, partly partly luck, and that he fell into Cheltenham's lap because of the uh, the, pro- the proximity of Carterton Town near Bryson Norton, I think, where his parents were. And he just he'd been rejected, as he, as he's discussed with you, Forest, Swindon, Darlington. I think he got let go at various different stages of his career by all of them. He was at he was actually at the Hillsborough disaster with his dad as a Forest oh, wow. promising young player mm. um, at the time in 1989. So he did have to wait, but I think he's got that mindset. Um, and that determination to not only make it at Cheltenham but then think well no, I want to challenge myself again and again and again that's why mm. that's why I think ev- anyone who knows him who, who, who's seen him develop through his playing career will know that he won't just be you know here for the next 20 years there's no chance he, he will go higher and he will, I think he will do well Brilliant logic as well wasn't it because he said for me to fulfil any ambitions that I have as a manager Cheltenham have to do well so he sees it as a win-win which is it's quite refreshing, isn't it? Rather than the platitudes we often hear between clubs and managers saying how, how much they value each other and how much loyalty is important. When you look at the history of football management, it is generally in flux the whole time. Yeah, I think he, he uses the phrase authentic a lot. It's got to be authentic, not, the, not just those platitudes. And he, he's very good at... He, know, he knows that all the, some players might be coming towards the end of their career, some players might be just starting out, some players might want to go higher, some players might just be here because it's local, because yeah. they're just down the road. But he's managed to get them all to buy into what he's... What he's um, trying to sell to them which is we, we all win if we win we all win and it, I think he's again he's shown that motivational side mm. with the help of, of the staff as well but I think he's you know I think he knows exactly how to get the best out of people and sort of fire people up whatever they're trying to achieve in their next move yeah the context of the pandemic has been a real challenge for him and he was saying that actually if there is a relaxation of the that's <laughs> that <laughs> helicopter that we had last week and Michael actually I don't know what cir- circles over the house every so often in Cheltenham, I don't know what they were uh, looking for. <laughs> Yellow helicopter. If you're from Cheltenham, you probably uh, probably see it out and about. Um, but <laughs> hopefully, it's not my wife lost somewhere. <laughs> but um, it's it's interesting that he says about the context of that because he's got people that live in four or five four or five lads in the same house and things like that. So if the 
the isolation laws are relaxed to the point where you have to test positive to have to isolate that will make it a lot easier for the club logistically and I guess loads of lower league clubs because actually the current rules and I know Boris tried to skirt a few of the, the Prime Minister and, but maybe that's going to come in for everyone that with the, with the vaccination programme that there will be a bit of flexibility on that which will make it easier. Yeah I think the, the fact that Cheltenham had a they had a very minor situation in January where that's called off a couple of games because they had a couple of cases where I think that was when lone players were coming in yeah. and they've had a situation now with, with Ben Toza having to miss the Birmingham game and Matty Blair had to miss it because he was in the car with Ben Toza. Okay. Hopefully that's nipped it in the bud but I think the fact that that's it and fingers crossed that is it I think Charlton have handled it very well and I think Paul Godfrey is the, the Covid mm. officer Every, obviously it takes everybody to buy in again to not do anything stupid but I think they've actually they've they've got through it partly through luck partly through doing everything properly and if you can get through last season and win a title with all that going on then hopefully this season mm. it's only, they hopefully focus a bit more on the football but yeah there's there's a couple of there's, there's a clubhouse just around the corner from the ground where Sean Long lives and a couple of the other lads stay yep. and then there's a flat in town which is owned by former chairman Paul Baker yep. who rents that out to the, so I think there's four, three or four of them in there so that's quite nice for them to all be together and just looking at a wasp <laughs> don't do very well with wasps it's hovering around likes to centre me for some reason I smell the fear um, <laughs> but it's uh, yeah I mean that's an interesting thing isn't it Paul uh, Godfrey having the Covid officer on his, on his CV in 20 years time people will be wondering what was that hopefully anyway hopefully it won't still be with us by then yeah. um, but it's going to be a boost fight. these big clubs coming you imagine Sunderland Portsmouth they're going to bring decent fan bases aren't they do you think that's going to be a financial boost this year to get things back on track yeah I think that's one of the biggest potential extra income streams because I don't think you get a huge amount more money in League 1 than you get in League 2 you get a little bit more of a uh, TV mm. a cut of the, of the pie <coughs> excuse me but it's not, there's not a huge step up there's a huge step up from League 1 to the Championship and there's a huge gap between the National League and League 2 but League 2 and League 1 I don't think there's a huge difference so the main potential is another cup run or maximise um, away fans it was it was a shame on Saturday Birmingham couldn't have any away fans because it came two days before yeah. Freedom Day but Coventry this Saturday I think will bring quite a few and then hopefully that away end will be a lot fuller obviously it'll be a lot fuller than it was last season because <laughs> the whole ground was empty but that's one of my one of my strongest memories of the previous Spell in League One is how you know a lot of clubs are bringing 1500 atmosphere Cheltenham fans lift mm. it because they've got a away yeah, fan to sort of battle against and it brings out the best in them so that's going to be a huge part of the yeah of, of Cheltenham trying to maximise the as Michael said every penny counts. It'd be good for the town as well, won't it? Actually, because you walk around the high street and there's obviously places that have had to close. It's it's been a real challenging eighteen months, and we've talked about that in the past. So hopefully that will bring people down for weekends. Cheltenham, you know, in terms of national identity, has has that sort of attractiveness as maybe a weekend break destination. Yeah, and a lot of those clubs in League One won't have played Cheltenham before. They'll mm. they'll probably see it as a new ground to kick off. But and I like the fact the ground is only ten minute walk from the town centre, isn't it? So a lot of the new ground, yeah. newer grounds are nowhere near. So you you know some grounds you just get off the motorway, go in, yes. come back out again. Whereas yeah. Cheltenham, you, you can wander in, go and have something to eat, go and get a drink, and then you can be walk back up to the ground within ten minutes. So that's great. That's going to be great for the town. Anything that's going to get people going into the high street and spending money, or bringing more people to the town is great. What are the derby games? I know they've got Bristol Rovers in the cup next month, but then it's. Oxford is that the Oxford's the closest yeah, yeah there's not there's not as many actually uh, there's there's a few lengthy trips there's a lot of in between trips um, as you said Sunderland on a Tuesday Ipswich is a particularly long one but Oxford will definitely be the nearest and then you've got a few that will be around or Pl- Plymouth for them yeah. will be one of the nearest but obviously for Cheltenham it's still <laughs> a long trip down there but for, for them it's good news yes um, it's just straight shot on the M5 so it seems easier doesn't it in a yeah. way it, in a way it was a shame that, that Swindon and Bristol Rovers went down but you know it, that again might be with Forest Green now 
division below, Bristol Rovers and Swindon the league below, that might help when it comes to attracting players, mm. loan players from bigger clubs. They might want to test them at League One or just players that are coming on permanence want, might want to test themselves at that high level. So hopefully that will be something extra they can use to attract players in. But it, it is tough trying to persuade somebody to come to Cheltenham when they are just one of, are one of the two smallest fish in the division. Yeah, it's a job. Well, yeah, it's... Um yeah, definitely financially, you have to sell sell the whole package, don't you? I suppose, and you can't sell affordable housing at the moment with Cheltenham no. as well because that no, market's definitely. gone through. That's them. why it's so important they got yeah. those, those club houses because yeah. that, that does make a big difference, I think, rather than people looking at the prices. It's gone through the roof, hasn't it, since the pandemic? There's a lot of people moving from London to Cheltenham. Yeah, I think it's it's always been pretty good in Cheltenham, but it seems to be even you know it seems to be rocketing faster than ever. Yeah, um, but it's yeah, it's just, there's a reason for it though, isn't there as well? It's a lovely place to live and yeah. very easy easy access to most places via the M5. M4, M40, it's, yeah, it's a great location. And again, that, I, does, I do think that helps because, you know, if you have Plymouth or Carlisle trying to attract players, you probably have to pay that little bit more or, you know, work a little bit harder to attract them in. But yeah. Cheltenham, they've got the relationship with the clubs in the Midlands, they've got relationships with clubs, um, the Bristol clubs, um, and that's, I think that is, that is anything that give you that little edge when it comes to persuading somebody to come. So I think Michael Duff could, could do a good sales job on any player and, mm. and look what we did last season, this is what you're going to be coming into. But I asked him after the game on Saturday, is it just down to finances? And he basically said yes. Yeah, so we have bills to pay, don't you? There's yeah. a certain reality to it, if you're a, particularly if you're a mature, mature player. Yeah. So the, you know, the recruitment has got to be a bit cleverer, I think, because trying to persuade a proven lead two player to come to Cheltenham is challenging. But as Michael said after the Birmingham game, you can't sign an established league League One player, it's just not going to happen. You know, mm. you can't sign somebody that's maybe in their peak years who has scored goals in League One. It's very unlikely they're going to want to come to Cheltenham. They're going to have other yeah. offers. It's a short career, so you don't blame them for that. No, so you've got to uncover <clears throat> a Moisa type, which isn't easy. It doesn't come around very often. Or you've got to be clever with your loans. And I think a lot of the, the remaining five signings will be loans, or maybe five or six signings. Mm. You can obviously have five loans in the match day squad. So Cheltenham have done pretty well with loans over the last few years, and that's you get more value for your money, don't you? If you get yeah. a, um Callum Wright from Leicester or Finners as from West Brom, Josh Griffiths from you West Brom. You have to wait for that, don't you, at the moment with the Euros yeah, and everything. For exactly that. Down. So I think it is biding your time, holding your nerve, not panicking, not bringing in players for the sake of it. Three weeks, just under three weeks now to the first game. I'm sure the the number nine slot would have been filled by the time <laughs> Charlton go to Crew. Crew Alexandria yeah. on August. Is that away at Crew? Is it? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, it's interesting. So when's the first home game? The first home game is the Wickham game which is a week after they've got the, mid- the, 14th the of Bristol Rovers game in between yes. so they've got the Wick, uh, crew Bristol Rovers in the cup and then Wickham I think it's the first home game and that'll be you know they there was a bit of a they, they, Ellis Chapman went around the pitch on Saturday with a trophy you know mm. which was nice to show people a few people had photos with it and that was nice but I think first league game when everyone's there all the players are there I think there'll, there'll be a bit of a sort of yeah. party atmosphere thank, you know almost like a Reunited fans reunited. Wickham's not too far actually, is it? The trip, but I was actually just picturing you because Wickham, you go through Oxford and, you, and you're almost at Wickham, so that'd be a big match. Wickham be Oxford, but for you, it's funny as you have that empathy as a sports reporter. Like, obviously, it's a very fortunate job that, that we do, but I'm picturing you from Sunderland coming back at sort of two in the morning or whatever, <laughs> and however long it will take because there'll be motorway closures and all that kind of stuff. It's, it's the other side, and you teach sports journalism, isn't it? But there is a, a reality to that if you've then got to get up at nine o'clock if you do, because goodness knows what time you'll get back yeah we were chatting earlier weren't you if you, if you are a little bit wired after a game yeah the drive back from uh, Sunderland will probably, probably, probably wear off a bit wouldn't it but yeah. Newcastle away <clears throat> was a was a League Cup game in 2016-17 that was the worst trip back ever I think we got back about half five in the morning but yeah. I think 
it doesn't really need to be said, but I think I do mention it to, to some of the students that, you know, it's not going to be nine mm. to five, Monday yeah. to Friday. I think they pretty much accept that's, yeah, that yeah, comes yeah. from the territory. You know, you're going to have to work some strange hours and some strange days, but, you know, there's, there's no better way to be earning money than, than talking no, about it's more the other people in your life, isn't it, when you're sort of stumbling around at sort of 10 in the morning <laughs> and they're sort of trying to start work from yeah. home or do something. It's like, what are you doing in your box you, shorts? You might as well just, just coming around. Be honest with it straight up, you know, from the start. Yeah. It's, it's going to be like that. And then hopefully people will understand and, uh, and support you with it. Cause you, yeah, you do. But I think as a footballer as well, isn't it? You, yeah. You, 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 you're told where to be, what to do, what to eat, where to go, where you can't go for almost all the year. You get them for a few weeks in the summer and they're gone again and it's, you know, it's full on, isn't it? Yeah. So, it's, it's, it's a difficult, but it's it's a great way to earn a living. Yeah, as a report, you've got to plan your journeys as well, work out what routes you're doing and stuff. And don't always trust the sat-navs either, do you? That's no, the key. got to know the motorways and the service stations pretty well over the years. Yeah, so no, you little, do. Little <laughs> tricks. A good sense of the geography of the, the country as well. What about the university? How, what are the plans there for the journalism course? Is it going to be in person? Yeah, so we, we were very lucky last year. So we had a few weeks online, but because we are a practical course, we were in on campus for the whole of the first semester, so September to Christmas, and the vast majority of the second semester, which is January to May. Mm. So we're very lucky. And I think we've you know, really been impressed with the way the students have handled it all. And the most pleasing thing for me is, despite everything we've been through, a, a good percentage of our grad final year students that have just finished have already got themselves jobs, including one at Wickham Wanderers, actually. But there's oh, a cool. huge range of jobs that they've gone, in, gone into. I think coming up around about a third of the year have already got themselves a job in sports media. And they've only just handed yeah. in their last few pieces. They'll be getting their marks back in the next few weeks. That's good. So that's, that's really positive. I think they've come through it. But from September, as, as things stand, we're back to fully face-to-face. -face. The biggest thing, though, will be getting, be able to get back out on trips to games and that sort of thing. And, yes. And actually get them out in the field, press boxes, press conferences, meet, meeting people, because that's what they've missed out on more. Because that's the correct practice, really, isn't it, for the yeah. actual job? Yeah. So we, we, I think we, we still gave them a good experience. We had a really good calibre of guest speaker coming in online, online chats. Mm. We were re able to recreate certain things. We had students on internships, so there was a group at Cheltenham did a brilliant job, six or seven of them, a lot of which have, have gone on to get jobs now. And they, did, they had the Man City game to enjoy and they had the, the, the trophy, you know, the yeah. presentation everything, so they were there doing brilliant coverage for the club. So some of them were out and about sport, but that's, that's the thing I'm looking forward to most next year. I'll be getting, getting in more of them out to press boxes more regularly to actually see mm. how it works. But it's been, considering what the challenge we've faced, I'm really pleased with the way it's gone. And, short summer break now well ni nice summer break now and then it all, all kicks off again in September 100% and we, it's interesting we're talking about the sort of realities of the, the media world and, and a trend has been and we're going through that with some of my colleagues and, and friends in the in industry across the board and also actually the wider the wider kind of landscape of employment is that for old fogies like me at 40 you kind of like start to see people maybe looking at cheaper options but for your students that then becomes an opportunity because actually not to be sort of crude about it but it may be an opportunity for, for them to pick up jobs that have been vacated by more senior well experienced well better paid people effectively mm. and I think there's also a completely different type of job coming up now so mm. one of our students uh, that's just finished has gone into an esports role oh, okay. with, with reach yeah there's students going into just design designing graphic design skills yes. you know creating graphics for social media editing jobs um, it's not just being able yeah. to write just being able to talk it you have to, I think there's such a you have to be an all-rounder mm. and there, there is probably something in that in terms of um, opportunities for the up-and-coming uh, the, the I don't know new apps coming out that, that just seem to be like a duck to water with does that boil down to personality types as well though, do you think if people because my wife's an introvert she's actually a graphic designer but she wouldn't want to do what I do and I don't think I'd do very well tethered to a desk for too long doing what she does it's interesting isn't it yeah when, when students come 
to the university, they tend to either want to be a, more of a written journalist or they want to be in yeah. front of the camera. Some actually specifically want to be behind the camera, you know, mm. on the technical side. But they will try everything. And we've had some good examples of students that have come in saying, well, I only really just want to write. Yeah. By the time they finish, they're, they're, they're presenting, they love being in front of the camera, they want to go into a broadcast career. They're complimentary as well, I think, if you have a sort of familiarity with words. And it's a different mindset writing to speaking, but actually they inform each other. Because if you get more succinct in your writing, it will help your speaking. I yeah. think it's a definite, definite correlation. It's just more the, uh, the technical graphics and the Adobe and all that sort of stuff and the InDesign and Quark we, we used to do that I always struggle with. Yeah, they, they do use a bit of InDesign now yeah. on the course and Photoshop. Mm. But the, yeah, the, there's, a, there's a wider range of jobs available to graduates now, I think, than mm. there was when I think when I did my journalism degree, it was... I'd say most of the people on my course wanted to go and get a job at a paper yeah. or their local paper to start with and then now you, you get students coming in with all, all sorts of different goals some want to work for clubs some want to work for all, there's agencies yeah still obviously online publications still a bit of print although you know yeah, who yeah. knows what's going to happen with that it's funny I played a charity game charity five aside for Bang Lawson Shelton at the weekend in Gloucester with John Finnegan and I think it was another guy I can't remember it was Mark who used Mark to Johnson Mark Johnson yeah is that where you got the, the grades yeah well I know he was on my team but <laughs> yeah he was uh, they had the, 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 the sort of furious burst for about five minutes and then uh, Finners, Finners meandered around for a bit and then I got hit by a sniper and fell over for no reason so that was an interesting <laughs> cameo um, then I missed a penalty hit the crossbar but aside from um, aside, aside from Chris Waddle calling me which shows how old we are but aside from um, aside from that it was uh, yeah it was, they were talking about the Pinkham actually yeah. and they're sort of they're saying that online and not your it's the reality of the, the situation you're working predominantly online but they miss that sort of physical mm. copy of looking at their player reviews in the in, yeah. the in the in the pinkham at the end of the day yeah mark johnson played two games for cheltenham and he was around the club for quite a while played a lot of times for the reserves had a very good local career he would have been in the era of you get back from the game you pick up the pinkham there's no no one else knows any of the scores mm. unless you had the sort of radio on or you know walkman on listening to five mm. live or radio five it probably would have been called then and uh, the, I think the Pinken was great, and then it, I think it became less probably crucial when people got phones. And you could yeah. just check the results. And by the time the game ends, everyone already, already knows how everyone else do you think got Mark Halliwell worked on that. I spoke to Mark on the podcast about it. But do you think now that less people are aware of some of the local stuff than they would have been because you'd pick it up in a, a news agent or something like that? Do you think just because I know Mark Cousin, who's the director of Charlton, has brought out that local paper as well, hasn't he? This free, yeah. free at the point of my local co-op at the, yeah, the self yeah. the self-serve thing it's just it's interesting just to th and maybe it's just my habits as a, an older person but you just kind of like you, you, you just somehow were just more you, you had less searching to do perhaps mm. i think there is something in that but i think the fact that clubs now even at even in the cheltenham league for right down at the bottom yeah they've got their own they've got their own media output they've got their own social media accounts they yeah. can they can speak directly to the people that actually are interested in what they're doing so the further you, the higher you go so the, the, the higher non-league clubs, such as Bishop Cleeve, Sirencester Town, Cinderford, they've got they actually got quite a nice mm. amount of content on their website. So anyone in Cinderford that used to read the Pink and can now read about their club on their website. And that's been one of the big challenges for newspapers. The, the newspapers used to do, yeah. do the news and the football teams used to do the football. Now the football teams are producing the news themselves. So for my boss working at Sky Sports came through newspapers and he was saying how it's changed in 10 years, just people's perception of newspapers and said the interesting thing is now because he sort of, I guess, segued into digital space before he got into TV and he still oversees the digital side at Sky Sports and he said the interesting thing is that people aren't necessarily aware of what 
platform they're actually on. So they'll just Google the results. They might be on Gloucestershire Live, but they may not. But that's, I suppose that's what we miss is that sort of association of, of what you're looking at, isn't it? Sometimes online you're just looking at a report which may be yeah. Bishop's Cleves website but or it may yeah. be Gloucestershire Live you're not quite sure yeah well when when the Pinkham was at his pomp I would say they, they would have had match reports from all those clubs but they would have just come from the club media person because yeah. the Pinkham didn't have reporters at every game they would have had one at Cheltenham Town one at Gloucester Rugby one at Gloucester City one at Forest Green so the just take for example the, the Bishop's Lee report would have st- would have come from the person that's probably still writing it now for the club website. Yeah, they just put it out into yeah the, the, into the print product. But n- neutrals it. may have seen that more often. Yeah, you see what I mean. Yeah, yeah, it's a good point. But I think there there is still there's there's a seven sport website that, that promote Gloucestershire non league football and do a great job of that. Obviously, I try and keep an eye on the non league stuff. And there there's there is there is still a lot of interest in it. A lot of people will go and watch Bishop's Cleave and then they'll keep yeah. a close eye on Cheltenham and they'll go and watch Bishop's Cleave and Cheltenham are away or. They don't want to go to the game. And, uh, I don't, <laughs> this uh, sort of Cheltenham is supposed to be serene. It's talking about these people moving out from London. It's the same one, isn't it? We've got someone firing up a, a chainsaw, I think, next door, and then there's uh, the yellow helicopters <laughs> back overhead. So some, it's a bit like Magnum PI with the blue, blue, blue kind of skies above us. I still, um, I still think if you've got a general interest in Gloucestershire football, you you will, yeah, you will know where to find it and know where to go for it. It's just that. It used to be collated in one plate, one brilliant, brilliant place on a Saturday tea time where you could pick it up. So I, I would get off the away, the away day supporters coach, go to the news agent to find out how all the local teams have got on. Now you just look on social media, you look on the club websites. Um, so it's changed, but I think it's still pretty easy, pretty easy to find if you if you want to find out where it is. There's still a similar amount, if not more, stuff out there. Yeah, just if the wind's just blown through from that helicopter, it's getting lower. I'm a bit worried about that. <laughs> Next time it's going to come around and land in the tiny back garden of mine but um it's uh, in the, the, the drill next door or the chainsaw next door whatever that is strimmer strimmer um is going on um but it's yeah it's, it's a fascinating landscape isn't it and actually people use probably your social media twitter account for a lot don't they not to, i know you're probably self-deprecating but i quite often pick up on things from your website from your twitter feed yeah i think twitter i started using it in 2010 and it's become increasingly important and i think it's a massive asset for a journalist to have a a loyal dedicated you know specific following now so Another thing that I definitely need to highlight to the students is that you know you need to be present. You need to have a profile on social media. Yeah. So it's not all about you know, promoting yourself, but it's knowing yeah. people knowing that they can come to you, what they're going to get, that it's going to be reliable, hopefully all the time. Yeah, not feeling stuff. too ang- anxious about your following and numbers of followers and stuff like that. I suppose it's just it's much more it's yeah. much better to have a small, loyal, local audience that comes to you regularly for your stuff. Hmm. than just somebody that will follow you and never look at any of your stuff or a random person that, that's got no connection with what you're writing about. It's all about having that that focus and, and having a specialism. You know, yeah. People know that if they want to find something out and they want it to be reliable because there is a lot of stuff out there that, that's just that's not as reliable. You know, it's yeah. a lot, There's a lot well, of uh, nonsense you, out there. For you professors, though, it must be just finding out where these platforms are now because it's evolving all the time, isn't it? It's changed so much in the last 15 years. If you're trying to get job opportunities for your students it's figuring out what these markets that the platforms are developing all the time yeah do we need to take this one seriously or is this just going to be a flash in the pan or is it just somebody having a laugh is it yeah. somebody just purely making stuff up to try and get get attention or is this the next big thing that's going to be that's going to grow and a lot of them have grown mm. into brilliant respected trusted websites so a student could start a youtube channel for example couldn't they and be successful potentially with with not many overheads just a camera in their room doing yeah. reports on local clubs or you know kind of opinion pieces or you know fan fan content yeah there's a lot a lot of people that have done that and made huge sums of money isn't there about yeah not not specifically about Gloucestershire football but 
they've just come up with an, an idea and yeah. made it work and now making you know huge sums of money for advertising and you know become an influencer that's the next um, step John we need to start a Cheltenham Town YouTube channel and then we'll end up in celebrity boxing matches with Floyd Mayweather <laughs> and who knows where it'll end uh, it's a different world though isn't it yeah, the, att- it the, att- the attention economy is interesting where pub- public attention shifts all the time because we had five channels and mm. what, however many newspapers national newspapers and local papers yeah we look at the numbers that watch the Euros and that's probably unites people like, no- like nothing yeah. else now doesn't it yeah. And you get the old series, don't you? Like Line of Duty, everybody everybody seemed to be watching that on that one that one mm. Sunday night. Match of the Day still does decent numbers, doesn't it? Five or six million, I think. So yeah. there's still a core of people, but then you wonder about the demographics of that, maybe slightly sort of middle-aged and older people. Yeah. But the snooker, for example, the snooker world final now, I, I don't, I've got no idea how many people watch it now, but in the 80s, because there were just those probably four channels at the time, yeah. 18 million, I think, watched Davis, yeah, it wasn't Hen- the snooker, Davis against Taylor. There's always a nostalgia that snooker was better then, but it actually was probably just because there wasn't anything else yeah. to watch. You've got more choice. You, you've got more stuff that you can watch whenever you want to watch it. And, yes, that's, that's another challenge for football. Yeah. Are, are, are young people going to want to sit and watch 90 minutes of football? I think we've, I think we've touched on this before. Mm. In pre- I think it's my seventh appearance today. Um, <laughs> Is it? Yeah, in one Lucky of those number seven. previous chats, we, we chatted about the attention span. Will people want to sit down and watch full 90 minutes of football and they can just watch yeah. the comedy bits or the best goals or the best saves on social media? And that's going to be interesting. We've got the cricket 100, haven't we, starting this week, which is interesting, which apparently we're not even supposed to really mention. Wickets are not important. It's about balls, no. and, balls and runs. And I think it's going to, be <laughs> going to be over by the time it takes to eat your dinner, but it's, uh, it's going to be interesting. Yeah, divide opinion, isn't it? Because, but there was a huge outcry when they brought in... 50 over cricket you know, mm. and started wearing pyjamas instead of whites you know, <laughs> and, it, and it did a lot of good for the game so test match cricket is still the pinnacle anything else that can get more people in, involved in cricket interested in cricket it's got to be worth a look but it, hopefully it'll work yes. uh, I know a lot of traditionalists will be against it but I think it's quite exciting and they, they've, they've just got to try something to stay mm. they, you can't just stay how you were 50 years ago and expect it to yeah. carry on attracting people to watch I always think cricket's a social event anyway. <laughs> Maybe the way I approach it, a day of a, a test match or a county championship match or a one day, or it's, a, it's a kind of social activity rather than something you're necessarily emotionally charged up. I'm sure there are people who are diehard Gloucestershire fans, but it seems less kind of sort of emotionally volatile than a football game. Yeah, I think there is that. It's a day out. Yeah. A bit like racing. It's, it's not necessarily about, well, it's, it's about having a, a social day, putting a few bets on, having a couple of drinks, wearing something... You know, making a bit of an effort with your attire. Yeah, it's not really. I don't think I'd, I'd be very interested to know how many of the crowd that go to Cheltenham actually care about <laughs> any of the horses or the jockeys. No. It, what, what, only apart from whether they won or not, whether they won any money or not. No, try and read the form so. guide, and then you just end up going for your uh, <laughs> one that reminds you of your favourite colour when you were a kid or something like yeah. that. Yeah, but you compare it to football. It's you know it can make or break somebody's week, can't it? it can make or break mm. somebody's whole mood for the rest of the weekend, and it's. Yeah, whole nation it means last everything. week. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just yeah, it's very different, different culture. Well, John, pleasure to see you. I better let you go because the sun has snuck overhead now, <laughs> and we were in the shade, but you're now getting it full, full beam, and, and you've got to get up to the Kidderminster Harriers for Cheltenham's game tonight. But real pleasure to yeah. see you. Appreciate you coming round, and good luck with the, the build up to the season. Before you go, what, you, what your prediction for Cheltenham this season? I think with Duff there, the organisation they've got, I think I'm going to at this stage, and, and this will depend on how many more players come in. But I think the 17th record from 2006-7 is very much under threat. There we go. Fantastic. Cheers, John. And at John Palmer Sport is Twitter account, isn't it? Brilliant. Thanks, Ed. Yeah, John Palmer, really cool to riff with him on some ideas. I think he's a couple of years older than me, but very much the same generation of of growing up. And just the 
sheer expansion and the infinite internet internet that's uh, provided us with all these platforms and, and where you find things, where you digest things. I do feel that sometimes things come across my plate less naturally in terms of the local stuff. I do follow John on Twitter, and that's a good stopping off point for covering Cheltenham Town. It's Ash Loveridge who covers Forest Green Rovers traditionally, local club to me as well, Mark Halliwell. But it's interesting, do you seek things out online? We've seen that with La Liga football when it left Sky Sports as well. People necessarily aren't looking for it who would have otherwise watched a La Liga game on a Sunday night, for example, on Sky Sports. There's so much to uh, consume us and to take our attention. That's just in the digital realm, isn't it? There's a lot in the real world as well we should pay attention to, like the gorgeous weather out there. But anyway, great to speak to John Palmer and I uh, hope you'll have a fantastic season covering Cheltenham in League One. Hopefully Michael Duff will stay for a good good way, but I'm impressed with Michael after speaking to him last week and the Cheltenham manager came around last week and spoke to me. You can look listen back to that. It's the uh, preceding episode to this one on the Sport and Life podcast. Thank you for listening. Thank you for John for his time again. And thank you to the sponsors, Bang Olufsen of Cheltenham and Serene AV, who are specialists in some of the finest home entertainment brands, providing solutions based around high quality customer service and installations. Typically, the neighbor's drill has stopped. No helicopters in sight, but uh, all good. B&O Cheltenham, around the corner from me. Please get in touch with Jason Briggs and his team. And if you do, please mention that you listened to the podcast and heard the name. I really appreciate the support of Bang Olufsen Cheltenham. And the least I could do was labour with that fridge around on my back in the seven-a-side tournament at the weekend in Gloucester, where I think we ended up in the Europa League, which is a second-tier tournament, as in the, the regular game. And we went out on penalties with me rattling a crossbar with my left foot. It's still haunted by that. So I'm not blaming any England players for sure from the other week at Wembley. Um, so that's uh, Bangalore and Cheltenham and it's cytoplan.co.uk. If you're looking to optimize your immunity, building upon a good foundation, of course, of sleep, nutrition and exercise. If you're looking to sort of, I guess, fill the gap with any supplements, particularly around trace elements that may be missing in our soil. If you, if you look at some of the samples as industrial farming has maybe robbed some of the sort of over-rotation of, of soil, uh, you can uh, look at cytoplan.co.uk, C-Y-T-O-P-L-A-N.co.uk, and the discount code associated with the podcast is Draper10R, my last name, D-R-A-P-E-R, all capital letters, the numerals 1-0, and the capital letter R. All right, have a great week. Enjoy the sun. We don't get it often, so let's not complain about it. Beautiful stuff. Do stay cool, though, as well. Don't overheat, but make the most of those blue skies in uh, the UK here. And I hope you're well wherever you are in the world if you're not in the UK. Thanks for listening. Appreciate it. If you can rate it on iTunes, pass it on to a friend. Always appreciate it. I'm Ed Draper81 on Twitter, Ed underscore Draper81 on Instagram. Sports broadcaster in the UK, looking to thread together the metaphors that sport and life are connected by and perhaps why sport can inspire us in other walks of life. Anyway, hope you enjoyed the podcast, guys. Bye for now. Mm-hmm.